You know, I, one thing I still like, I, I understand that presents are not the, the all withal of Christmas, of course, but there is one present that is, and that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I can only imagine the shepherds, how surprised they were when they, when they heard the good news that the Messiah was born, and he was born in a stable in a feeding trough. What a surprise that had to be to them, as to well, everyone else. You know, also I was surprised when I found such good gospel truth in a totally secular song. When a few weeks ago I was sitting listening to Mariah Carey sing, All I Want for Christmas is You. And all of a sudden I realized that the gospel truth of that was the you was Jesus Christ. That all we need for Christmas is the Lord Jesus Christ. The first verse of that says this, and we've read it before. um, I don't want a lot for Christmas There's just one thing I need. And we talked about how that one thing was the Lord Jesus Christ. That the one thing Christmas should be about is Jesus. Max Licato, a long time ago now, wrote these words. He said, you know, if our greatest need was for information, then God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need was for technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need was for money, he would have sent an economist. And yet he knew that our greatest need was for forgiveness. So he sent us a Savior. And today, I just want to come home to you again, especially our friends on Facebook and on the radio, and also you in this room, to make sure you understand the importance of the center of Christmas is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely, surely the the story begins in a manger, but ultimately it all points back to a Roman cross where the Lord Jesus Christ died. That may have been what driven Jesus' words in Matthew 16, uh, 26, where Jesus asked this question, and he said this, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What is the benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? What if somehow you could magically wish and anything in the world that you wanted all of a sudden could be yours? What would be the benefit of that. And I, I love to change this word where the world to your world because I know we think about the world and that seems such an impossible thing. But but in your in your world, in your sphere of influence, in your dreams, in the plans that you've made for your life, in the, in the things that you thought this is what I want to happen in my life. Some of you are young millennialist types folks and you're looking forward going, yeah, this is what I want to see happen. Some of you are on the verge of retirement age and you're going, this is how I want my retirement to look. So what if all those dreams and wishes in your world could come true, what would it be a benefit if you lost your soul? You lost the essence, the eternal part of who you are. And then ask another way, is anything, is anything in that world, any wish that you have, is there anything worth more than your soul? And the answer is no. And the answer is no. That is the beauty and the power of the gospel. Jesus Christ meets our deepest and greatest need on on a Roman cross when he died and paid the price for our sins. When I was a younger, younger guy here, I was thinking Angie, I was wishing Angie happy birthday. And I won't tell you how old she was, 
but her and I both were a whole lot younger in the year 2000, like 21 years younger, and she was in her mid-30s, I'll tell you that much, and I was just in my mid-40s, and so, so there we were, you know, so much younger and all that, and I, of course, just like I had the flu last week, just for fun, um, well, then I still got sick then. I was in Dr. Yule's office over on Oregon Street in El Dorado, and I was sitting there waiting for the doctor to come, and on his wall were these words, and I've never forgot them. I can't recite them from memory, but believe me, I still know them because I'm including this message. He said, money will, will buy a bed, but not sleep. Books, but not brains. Food, but not an appetite. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusement, but not happiness. A crucifix, but not a savior. And a church pew, but not heaven. Money will buy a lot of things, but it cannot buy the one thing that really matters. And I think that's what drives the story uh, today from Mark about this young man. We, we know from the Gospels and from, from the writings of the Gospels that he was young, he was wealthy, and he was powerful. He was everything you want your daughter to marry. I mean, he had it all together. And so the Bible says in, in Mark ten seventeen, as he was setting out, Jesus, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt down before him. And listen, trust me, the fact that a man would run was very unusual back then. It was so beneath people, particularly someone who might be young and wealthy and powerful. But this man runs. And I wondered, I said to myself, there's obviously a sense of urgency there. And I wonder what it was. I wonder what it was that drove him to lay aside his pride and dignity and run and ask this young rabbi this all-important question. You know, something, maybe perhaps he faced his mortality, I don't know. You know, when, when Kathy Williams died and I was preparing the service, and um, I go to the obituary and do this because I'm a pastor, not because I'm morbid, but I go often look at obituaries. And at age 67, here's what I'm finding out, that there's more and more people my age and younger that are dying. And when I looked at your mom's obituary and realized she was two, almost two years younger than me, all of a sudden I was facing my mortality again. Well, I wonder, did this guy bump into something? Did he bump into something in his life? Hey, have you bumped into something in your life? Have you bumped into something in your life that caused you to go, whoa, wait a minute, you know, I'm not going to live forever in the sense of on this earth. Well, I don't know. But if something caused him to lose his dignity and pride, he runs up, he kneels down before Jesus, and he asks him this all-important question, all-important question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's probably, at least on the onset, no more important question than that. You know, God has created us as eternal beings, and the question posed to us is, where will that eternal part of you spend Eternity. So he wanted to know. He said, you know, what must I do? What's the process that I can inherit eternal life? And I think I was almost surprised because I, I, you know, I've always preached this and said this was probably the most important question. But I think, I think the question that Jesus asked next is even more important than that one. Here's what Jesus asked him in verse 18. Why do you call me good? 
Why do you call me good? And here's the reason why. Jesus asked him, no one is good except God alone. So I think Jesus is saying, hey, hey, are you saying, are you saying something here? Are you saying, you know, because we believe only God is good. So when you call me good master, are you implying, are you saying that you believe that I am God? That is so huge. That's a more important question because before you can, before you can address the eternal life question, you've got to address the who is Jesus question. That's just the way it works. That's just the way it works. You see, in, in our teaching point, you know, are you saying, see, Jesus challenges him to believe and know. To believe and know. One of the favorite scriptures that I use at funerals all the time, you know, is John 14, 1. You know, John 14, 1. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, James says that every, you know, the devils believe and tremble in God. Okay? But he calls us further in John 14, 1. He says, you know, you know, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. And as good Jewish people and as good Americans, that's a, that's a great thing. But you've got to go to the next step. Believe in God. And then Jesus said, believe that I am God. Believe that I am God. And then, and then he challenges him to know. To know at an intimate, personal level. And again, you cannot know God on that intimate, personal level unless you come through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this, is, this is one of those verses that's in my crawl recently. You know, back on the 5th when I preached and the week before that. You know, John 17, 3 says this. You know, this is eternal life. You remember the, what was the question? What must I do to have eternal life? Well, Jesus said in this verse, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, know God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So here's the deal then. Here's the deal. If you want to have eternal life, you've got to nail down the Jesus question before you can nail down the eternal life question. That's the way it is. Settling the Jesus issue settles the eternal life issue. I mean, it's just huge. It's just huge. So, so he's saying, what, what are you saying here? Then, then Jesus does something. You kind of go, huh, what? You know, in verse 19, um, he goes, well, you know the commands. Okay, you know the commands. Um, don't murder. Don't murder. Um, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Do not defraud. And then honor your mom and dad. Now, in doing this, he's not saying this is the path to heaven. Because the guy responds and he goes, oh, I've done all that. He missed the point. What Jesus was saying, the law is not a pathway to heaven. The law is a pathway to recognizing me as Savior. See, the law was given. The law was given not to save us, but the law was given to point our sin out and our need for a Savior. When God gave the law, he said, this is to show you that you need more. You need my son, Jesus Christ. So you know the rules, okay? But the man just responds, well, I've done all that. I've done that. I know all of that part. But what he didn't know was, is that the law just made to point us out as sinners. Well, verse 21 to me is just, you need to underline it in your Bible. Here's what he said. When I preach this scripture, I always do it for Mark because of this one thing. In verse 21, looking at him, look at me, I find it amazing. 
that with all his his warts and all his failures and all his brokenness, the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Look at me. I want you to know something. God loves you today. When God looks at you and all your brokenness and all your warts and all your failures, I want you to know God looks at you as an object of his love. Well, Dwayne, how in the world can you say that in all the lostness and brokenness? How can God look at people that are so lost and broken? I don't know, but it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And knowing that this man is fixing to walk away, Jesus looks at him and loves him. And whether you're watching on Facebook today or on the radio or in this room, the biggest message of Christmas is that God loves you. Enough to send your son Jesus Christ, his son Jesus Christ, not to just be born in a stone-cold manger, but to go to a Roman cross. Where he would shed his blood. Yes, there was blood on the ground as Laney so beautifully sang in that song. In that manger, the, the blood of birth was there. Hmm, that's a good phrase, the blood of birth. But the blood of death. The blood of death was coming. And it was all because he loved us. He Loved us. He loved him. Jesus said, there actually is one thing. There's one thing. Um, I, I need for you to go and sell all that you have. And I need for you to give it to the poor. And then you're going to have treasure in heaven. But then I want you also to come and follow me. See, see the power of this is the one thing. See, Jesus knew. Jesus knew that this young man had another God. And Jesus couldn't be his God until he got rid of that God. And listen, in our Western culture, it's so filled with gods, someone needs to tell you the truth. And the truth is, if you think you can be a Christ follower and have a life filled with other gods, you're wrong. You're wrong. When when Jesus calls a man to salvation, a woman to salvation, a child to salvation... He must become exclusively the only God. So I ask yourself the same question. You know, he said you lack one thing. What is your one thing? If you're listening on Facebook or on the radio or you're in this room today and you've been pondering knowing Jesus Christ as Savior, you've been pondering a commitment to Jesus Christ, I need to ask you, what is your one thing? What is the one thing that you would choose over Jesus? And that is the one thing you've got to give up. It is not negotiable. Your pride, your power, your money, your your car, your house, whatever it is, all those things have got to be laid aside if you want to be a Christ follower. I put it this way on the teaching point. You know, God just doesn't demand first place on our God list. We we, we think that. We we think, again, in American culture, we are a polytheistic God God factory in the world. We have so many gods. And we think as long as we've got God at the top of the list, we're good and he's good with it. You're not good and he's not good with it. You see, God doesn't want to be first on your God list. 
He demands first place on a list of only one. When you choose to follow Jesus, there can only be one God on your God list. And it must be Jesus. Well, in verse 22, the Bible says, And he was dismayed by this demand. He went away grieving because he had many possessions. The, the price was too high. Remember, Jesus asked the question, what, what, what's, your, what's your soul worth? In this case, this man said, My possessions are more valuable. My, my other gods are, are more valuable. And he walked away. With Jesus still loving him. When he said no, he didn't just say, well, I'm done with you. He loved him. Still. So what's your one thing today? Is there one thing that's keeping you from trusting the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you willing to put your soul on that price tag? Our teaching point says this. You can, you can measure the measure of Christmas isn't the number of presents under the tree. The measure of Christmas isn't the numbers of your success, the bank accounts, again, the cars and the houses, all that. The measure of Christmas isn't the number of presents under the tree. It is the presence of the gift of God in your heart. That's it. The most important thing You're going to hear this season is the gospel, not just from me, but from wherever you happen to go and whatever you happen to listen to. The most important message is God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. And if you are willing to turn away from your sin and follow Christ, believing that what he he is what he said he was and he did what he said he would do, believing that you can have forgiveness and eternal life. Christmas isn't about the gifts. Christmas isn't about the traditions. Christmas is about Jesus. There's nothing like a little theology from the Grinch. You know, Dr. Seuss. This hangs over my toilet. Can you say toilet from the pulpit? (laughs) I just did. (laughs) Anyway, well, one of you gave it to me for Christmas last year. I don't know who you are, um, but you gave it to me, and now it hangs over my toilet at Christmas time. But, But here's what it says. Maybe Christmas, the Grinch thought... Maybe the Christmas, maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. Well, he was close. It's not just a little bit more. It's a whole lot more. It's a whole lot more. You know, Rick Warren says this, without God, life has no purpose. And without purpose, Life has no meaning. And without meaning, life has no significance or hope. So God wants to give you a gift today. And that gift is His Son, Jesus Christ. That gift is forgiveness of your sin. Not by your performance and not by you doing good or going to church or being baptized. It's a gift. And that gift is eternal life. But God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what calls, that's what drove Paul to say in 2 Corinthians 9.15. You know, thanks be to God 
for his incredible gift. Do you remember when we first used that verse a few weeks ago? And the word in the Greek literally means beyond words. Thanks be to God for his gift that is beyond words. We have a little bit different way of doing it today, but but we're going to close our service with something very special. And while the guitar plays and you're going to get your elements, I'm going to be standing down front. Brent, will you stand with me too, please? And um, we'll be standing down front. If you're here today and you're in the room and you would like to know how you can, be, have, you can personally receive this gift of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, Brent and I would be glad um, to share um, that with you today. If you're watching on Facebook, man, just give us a call. And we would love to talk with you about that. If you're listening on the radio, the exact same thing. We would love to tell you about the greatest gift ever, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's really cool is we get the end of service with another gift, you know. And it's about the first gift. But, you know, the night before Jesus died, he wanted to make sure that they would always remember that night and the truth of that night. And so he gave us a gift, and that gift was Uh, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, uh, communion, whatever word you want to use. But they were up in the upper room sitting around a table, and and Jesus knew the implications of the next day. And so he wanted them to remember the implications of the next day. And so so he takes a loaf of bread, and he takes it, and he, he passes it around the table. And while it's going around the table, you know, he says, listen, he said, you know, this this bread... You know, this is symbolic. This, is, this represents my body. And tomorrow, my body is going to be broken for you. In other words, I, you deserve to be broken, but I'm going to be broken in your place. So this body, this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. And he goes, after they broke it, he said, now I want you to eat this tonight. But as you eat it, I want you to remember that truth. That I went to a Roman cross, so you didn't have to. I want you to remember that, he said. And then he passed around a, a common cup, uh, a chalice, and, and they passed it around to each one of them. And he began speaking again. He says, now this chalice, this, this, this wine, represents my blood. And this blood represents the new covenant that's being written. There's something brand new. The old covenant's being done away with. This is a brand new covenant. And it's caused because I'm going to spill my blood that people like us and like you can come into relationship with holy God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? It's just amazing. And so, so they, he says, now when you drink this chalice, I want you to remember, I want you to remember that, that this is my blood. I'm going to spill my blood for you. Remember, that's what it represents. And then, later on, I want you to eat this bread and drink this cup. And I want you to remember what it's all about. Well, that's what we want to do today. We don't want to close our service, and then Dave's going to come back with a couple of songs. But we don't want to close our service with the Lord's table. And we practice, and I don't know a better word yet, but open communion, that simply means this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what denomination, no matter what church you belong to, we invite you to help us remember today what it's all about.
about the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray, and then when I'm done praying, as you feel led, if you'll go to one of four tables at each corner, um, there you can get your elements. If you need help and don't, you feel like you can get up, if you'll wave your hand, one of our deacons will bring you the elements. And then if you need gluten-free, this table in the middle is gluten-free. So, so after you've all got your elements, then we'll come and we'll take the elements together at the end, all right? Let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you very much um, for this privilege today. I'm, I'm glad, God, I'm glad that the family of God is gathered today for worship. I'm glad the way we worship. I thank you for this, this music we've heard. Father, thank you for the choir. Thank you for Laney. Thank you for David. Father, and teaches us the whole story, the big story, um, Father, of why Christmas and Easter are so important. So, Jesus, we want to thank you for your broken body. We understand you did it for us, and we are grateful. And we understand, Lord, that the the chalice represented that spilt blood. And we want to thank you that, because I know the Bible teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. There can be no removal of sin. But because of your sacrifice, our sins can be forgiven. So thank you for that. So we honor you today, and we thank you for this special gift. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Our men are at the tables. When you're ready, as the music starts, feel free to go to any table. Again, gluten-free here in the middle. And uh, then we'll come back together and observe the table together.
So that night, they didn't understand everything. Even with what Jesus had shared, they couldn't get their arms around the fact that this man they loved was going to die the next day. But still he gave them to supper, the supper to remind them. And so he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take, eat, and remembrance of me. Then they passed around that common chalice. And again, we, we are privileged in some ways to look back on the story because we can see all the implications, what they could not see. But he shared that night, as I've already said, he shared that night and said, Now, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, in my blood. My spilt blood is writing the New Covenant. He said, As oft as you drink it, drink it remembrance of me. Mm. Amen. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.